Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. I have a friend who writes for Hollywood, and he would tell you that all of our favorite movies, all of our favorite stories, are essentially based on what's called the hero's journey. So here's one depiction of that, but here's a summary of the hero's journey from one source. Quote, a lonely hero who is trying to find himself or herself, a sudden and unexpected journey promising adventure and peril, a test of character, strength, and skill, an ultimate battle that tests the hero's resolve, a triumphant return home. This is, as many point out, the story beneath so many stories. Think about it. You find yourself in tattooing, or maybe the closet under the stairs. And then a summons, help me Obi-Wan, or perhaps some letters mysteriously coming through your door. You say no, but after a push from Obi-Wan, or perhaps a miraculous visit from Hagrid, you take a step into a new world. You go to Alderaan, you go to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. And then in this world, you eventually, through many trials, face the Death Star, or you face he who must not be named. And then finally you return. Luke's a Jedi. Spoiler alert. Harry's a wizard. This hero's journey is everywhere. And it's so powerful. It's not just how we tell our stories. It's actually how we tell our own story. Isn't it? I'm a lonely hero. I get called into an unexpected journey. I face the abyss. I fight the dragon, and then I return back home changed. We are the hero and the hero's journey. But did you know something about this story? Not just the stories we tell each other, but the story we tell about ourselves. Did you notice something? The hero is alone. I am alone from beginning to end. The hero's journey is a lonely journey. And I wonder how many of us think of our journey with Jesus in the same exact way. Think about it. God calls me into the unknown. Jesus says, walk with me. But ultimately, my walk, my journey, my struggles. And so it's up to me to make it to the end. But what if that's totally the wrong way to understand your story? What if God is inviting us to think of our journey in a totally different way? Well, after reading Hebrews chapter 10, I'm convinced he is. So we are walking through the entire letter of Hebrews as a church, one section at a time. And so I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This morning, starting in verse 19, we're going to finish chapter 10 this morning. And this is a section of scripture that I think invites us to think of our faith in Jesus as a journey, but not a hero's journey. Because it's not a lonely journey. I'll read 
and I invite you to follow along. Once again, let's start in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meat together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, thinking of the Old Testament, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you all were enlightened, you all endured a harsh struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession than an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock and you are our redeemer and this word is not dead, it is alive. And so by your spirit would we, as that early church we hear Sophie read about, be cut to the heart. And would it change us deeply? At our core. Would we see Jesus? Would we see him as beautiful? And would you use this time as one of the many ways you are indeed keeping us in your love? And it's in your name we pray this. Amen. In the latest Atlanta, I came across a quote from writer Derek Thompson, who shares some sobering statistics with us. So from 2003 to 2022, American men reduced their average hours of face-to-face socializing by about 30%. For unmarried Americans, the decline was even bigger, more than 35%. For teenagers, it was more than 45%. 
Boys and girls aged 15 to 19 reduced their weekly social hangouts by more than three hours a week. In short, there is no statistical record of any other period in U.S. history when people have spent more time on their own. More than ever, we are doing life alone, aren't we? And especially as we think about faith. Today, more than ever, we see faith as a me thing, not as a we thing. Don't we? Faith is something that we do alone. We work out alone. It's up to us in our own, in our lonely sort of journey to stick with it. Now, if you've been with us, you know that the big idea of Hebrews is endurance. The folks behind this letter started racing. They started right on pace. But now they're struggling. And not just to put one foot in front of the other, they're asking, why should I even face this path? Why not turn the other way? They needed to understand the importance of endurance, which is what we're reading this morning. We see it in our passage all over the place. Hold fast, the preacher says. Endure. Don't throw away your faith. You have great need of endurance. Don't shrink back. And then, of course, all of the warnings we read in verses 26 through 31. Walking with Jesus is an endurance event. But if we're honest, I mean, how many of us think of endurance as a me thing and not a we thing? But this week I was floored at how Hebrews describes the life of endurance. Brothers and sisters, we have, we have, let us, let us, let us, if we remember when you, and when we see this word you in our Bibles, it's a plural you, it's a y'all. Remember when y'all, Paul is essentially saying, y'all's confidence. And then in verse 39, but we are not. Endurance, in other words, is important, but endurance is not a lonely hero's journey. It's a community project. Here's the thing. You will not endure on your own. Because that is not the journey that Jesus has called you on. I'll say that again. You will not endure on your own. Because that is not the journey that Jesus has called you on. The only way I think this text is forcing me to say is the only way to endure to the end is with an enduring community, we'll call it. An enduring community... I see four marks in our text of this enduring community. We know what we have. We'll call it our gift. We know what we do. We'll call it our habits. We know what story we are in, our story. And we know who we are, our identity. I want to think of these as four legs on the table. If we miss one or even two, the whole thing falls down. This is our enduring community. This is the path of endurance that Jesus calls us to. 
So let's look at the first one, our gift. The first mark of an enduring community is a shared gift. If you look down at the text again, at verses 19 through 22, here the preacher reminds the enduring community of two great possessions that they have. The key phrase is, since we have. Since we have. He says it twice. The first gift is confidence. So this is verses 19 through 20. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So in the Old Testament, God's people experienced a dividing curtain that stood between them and the holy presence of God and the holy of holies. Here's one depiction of that curtain. And only the high priest could cross that curtain, but only once a year and only with the blood of sacrifice. Everyone else, like all of us, were standing from afar, waiting and watching. But on the cross, we just read, that is through his flesh, as Hebrews says it, Jesus's as an ancient commentator puts it, Jesus' torn body, in a way, tore this curtain in two. He gave us access, a new and living way, says Hebrews, into the very throne room of God. And that is confidence. That is confidence. That is confidence to approach God, according to Hebrews. Confidence to pray. Confidence to be childlike in God's presence. Confidence to not be afraid in the presence of the Lord or to be terrified of God and His judgment. Instead, it's confidence to approach God in worship, to experience friendship with God where there was enmity. This is our shared gift. We do not approach the throne room by ourselves. We approach as a community. Since we have confidence. And our second great possession is what verse 21 calls our high priest, Jesus. And since, again, we have, what do we have? What do we have as a community? We have a great priest over the house of God. In the house of God, he's referring to the temple with an image. But of course, that temple is also the people of God. That's you, that's me. We are living stones of that temple. And so in verse 22, Hebrews says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure. We have a great high priest over the house of God. That's all of us. Who enables us to draw near with assurance. So we might want to hide from his presence. Personally. Or we might want to hide things about our life in his presence. We don't bring all of who we are into God's presence through prayer or even in worship. We block parts off. Maybe. But because of Jesus, because Jesus is the high priest who broke down the curtain so that we could have access, we can now come boldly. We can have the audacious boldness to walk exactly into the throne room, which only the high priest could do once a year. Because we are in Jesus, our high priest. We have assurance. So this, friends, is our greatest gift. If we want to be an enduring community, then we need to know what we have. And we need to value what we have. And the thing that we have that is most valuable is our confidence to draw near through Jesus. This is why verse 35 says, don't throw your confidence away. 
when my wife goes thrifting, I'll sometimes come along because I like to collect vinyl. And if you go to these thrift shops, they have vinyl for sale. Uh, she looks for pottery. I look for records. She can find amazing deals. I cannot. And here's why. The thrift store owners have the internet. And so they know, they know exactly what they have. They look up the serial number, I'm sure, or the catalog number, and they know exactly how valuable everything is. And so they don't throw it away with a 50-cent special. Um, which is why, and I've shared this before, I was shocked a few years ago when my son found a first pressing of Sgt. Pepper's for the price of a meal at McDonald's, basically. They didn't know what they had, and so they threw it away. They threw away their greatest possession. And this is, friends, what enduring communities avoid. They assess what is of greatest value in their midst, and then they cherish it. And they hang on to it. And they value it. And as a community, may we as an enduring community do the same. Our greatest shared possession, not personal possession, our greatest shared possession is confidence. Confidence to draw near. What else? Well, the second mark of an enduring community is our habits. Not just what we have, but what we do. We have an ethos. So look again at verses 22 through 25 this time. These are the so-called lettuce, you know, the, le- the, the salad. This is the lettuce verses. If you grew up in Sunday school. Because <laughs> three times the author of Hebrews says, let us, let us, let us. And so what's interesting here is that the author of Hebrews is saying an enduring community has these habits. The Greek word actually behind verse 25, habit, do you see it? As is the habit of some. In this case, it was neglecting meeting together. But that word habit is the same word as ethos. This is, in other words, the ethos of an enduring community. These are our habits. And the first habit is what Steve Macchia calls practicing a preference for God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because we have been cleaned by Jesus and what he has done. Because we have confidence to draw near. We, as a community, practice the, press, the preference of, of, of God. We prefer him. We draw near to him. An enduring community prioritizes actions that makes much of this access to God. Because we value our confidence, we pray. We worship together. We walk in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We discern. We discern in community. We meet up with one another. We have coffees. We have lunches. We talk with one another. We pray with one another. We support one another. We prioritize meeting with one another. And all of this is practicing the preference for God. The second habit an enduring community has is we carry together a vision. A vision of the future. The author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you see the word promise is connected to the word hope? Because in the Bible, hope is not just wishful thinking. The way that we use the word hope is, I hope that happens, though I have no assurance that it will. In the Bible, it's exactly the opposite. 
because God doesn't lie and he made promises about the future. I live in light of those short promises. That is actually a certain kind of confidence. We don't waver, as Hebrews says. Instead, we hold fast to this future vision, these promises that God makes. It's like carrying a couch up the stairs. Who's done that lately? Who's done that lately? Anybody? Yeah, it's, it's really, really, really terrible. You need help. Okay? But here's the thing. The vision of that couch being in that room or in that living room is what helps you and your buddies sort of carry that thing up the stairs. And you're white-knuckling this couch up the stairs. And that's exactly the image I want you to think about as it relates to the hope that we have. It is not a personal hope, just me. It involves you personally, but it is our hope. And we are all holding it. We are all stewarding it together with our own hands. We are holding fast to it together. And we need to. And we order our life in light of His promises. And the third habit, the third let us in verse 24, is what I will call the habit of holy agitation. That's what stir up means. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So what we have here is a counter habit. They were in the habit of not meeting in community, not valuing community life. And the counter habit is stirring one another up. Holy agitation. Not in a negative way, like agitate in an annoying way, It's as if the love and good works that God has prepared in advance for us is settled on the bottom of the the cold-pressed juice, which is our life. And we can't shake ourselves. We need community to stir up what it is that God is calling us to do. I can't shake myself. You can't shake yourself. We need this enduring community. Left to ourselves, we will cultivate the default habit of isolation and do it alone. If you don't intentionally set aside time to be together, you will not endure. That's the takeaway. I mentioned cold-pressed juice. Sometimes I buy one of those things at Zest. Have you ever been there before? They have these cold-pressed juices, and you pick them up, and they look disgusting because they have this big mass of solid at the bottom. And then this real thin, like, water-like liquid on the top. And you're like, what on earth? But you shake that thing up, and it's pretty delicious. And if you buy them at, you know, a store, it says on the bottle, shake vigorously. It just, that's what you do. You shake it vigorously because a bottle cannot shake itself, and a Christian cannot shake themselves. Endurance is a community project. Like, I need you. I need you to stir me up. To love and good works. Or else I will settle. And so friends, an enduring community has an ethos. We have a set of habits that ensures that we endure. So Michael Hendricks summarizes a lot of contemporary brain science in his book, The Other Side of Church. And he talks about how our brains are hardwired to be communal, to be in community. And so before every decision we make, our brain asks and then answers one question. What do my people do? And our brain asks and answers that question before we can even realize it. What do my people do? 
And then we act accordingly. And so our communal brains are the way God made us. And as we know, this can get us into trouble. If our community habits are toxic, our default, the way we settle, can be toxic. But it can also be very beautiful if the community habits that we are in are healthy, gospel-centered habits, as we just read. And so what we need to do is we need to embed ourselves into an enduring community with this ethos. With these sets of habits, we draw near. Let us draw near by faith. Let us hold tight to the hope we have. And let us stir each other up to love. And it's, friends, it's no accident that these three habits have endured throughout generations as the core ethos of an enduring community. Faith, hope, and love. The Apostle Paul knew it. The preacher of Hebrews knew it. And friends, may we as well. The third mark, though, of an enduring community is we know our story. We know what story we are in. So theologian Robert Weber once asked, who gets to narrate the world? Humans make sense of the world with stories, just as we saw with the hero's journey. But what story will we choose, okay? The story that says, you know, the world's trash and it's going to be destroyed in the end. Uh, The story that says there is no creator, it's just clashing atoms out there. Is it the story that might makes right and so just, you know, force your way through this world? Who gets to narrate the world is the question. Well, an enduring community, according to Hebrews, allows God to narrate the world. They understand their past and they understand their future through God's story. And this means three things. An enduring community looks back. So it looks back. We remind each other of God's faithfulness in our story's past. And this is verses 32 through 35. Preacher Hebrews says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle. And then unpacks all of these struggles and all of these hardships they endured as a community. Ways in which they demonstrated God's faithfulness in in their work, in their life. Maybe they didn't even know it at the time. It's possible that as they were supporting other believers in prison, they weren't thinking, oh, look at us, we're being faithful. No, they were just doing what was intuitive at the time. And so the preacher of Hebrews is reminding them of how God was faithful in that moment in their life. And we need to do the same. We need to look back on our own personal stories, but even as a community, how God has been faithful to us in the past and kept us faithful, despite all odds against it. But an enduring community also looks forward. We remind each other of God's faithfulness in the future. And we see this in verses 35 through 39. He says, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And then what follows is a call to persevere in light of God's promises. As I said, hope is not wishful thinking. It's living in light of what God promises. And so we look forward as a community. But even in this passage here, we see in verse 38, and even in verse 39, we get a warning about what happens when we turn from Jesus. And the warning is not soft. It's a hard warning. It's so hard we would be tempted to skip over it. But we would do so at great cost. And so we not only look back, we not only look forward, but we look out. We look out. An enduring community who walks in God's stories looks out. We warn one another. 
This is a way to love one another. This is actually a way to stir up one another in love and good works. Um, If there is a real danger, it is unloving to ignore the danger. If there is a real danger, for instance, when hiking once in New River Gorge, you are on this hike and there is a gigantic sort of drop-off to your left. And I'm hiking with my kids and it's dark. And if I don't say to them, there is a massive chasm like three inches to your left, then I'm not loving my children well. In the same way, an enduring community is a community who lovingly warns each other of the biggest danger in our life. More dangerous than driving on the highway or skydiving or whatever else you could think of. The biggest danger in our life is not a cliff, it's not riding a bike without a helmet, it's walking away from Jesus. We warn. That's what it means to stir up. But like baking, we warn in the right measure. So if this passage is a guide, there's three main sections. It's almost a sandwich. And the first section is encouragement. The last second section is encouragement. The middle section is warning. That's a two-to-one ratio. For each warning we give one another in this enduring community, we ought to offer two encouragements. But the warning is there because the danger is real. And you can look. It's in verses 26 through 31. This passage is unpacking the very scary prospect of what has been called apostasy. When somebody who, as it says, receives knowledge of the truth about Jesus, but then willfully or brazenly keeps on sinning against him, this is personal. You know, sin is always personal. It's not theoretical. It's always saying and sinning against Jesus without any remorse or regret. This is described in verse 29 as trampling on Jesus. That. It's described as desecrating his blood. It's described as insulting the Holy Spirit of grace. And when you insult the Holy Spirit of grace, and when you say, no, thank you, Jesus, Hebrews is very clear. There is no sacrifice for your sins because you are rejecting that sacrifice. And that's scary. And we need that warning. God saw fit to put it in his word. A while ago, I read a children's book called A Tale Dark and Grim. It's a children's book uh, by the author Adam Gidwitson. What this author noticed is that over time, we have tended to tame and sanitize the Grimm Brothers stories. Have you ever read the original Grimm Brothers stories? They are like, really, wow. (laughs) Um, The stories we get are so sanitized. And so some of our sanitizing is probably good, frankly, (laughs) if you read these original ones. But something is lost, and this is Adam Gidwitz's point. Something is lost when we don't tell the whole story. Because these stories back in the day, these European stories, they had a purpose, which were to warn about real dangers in life. And so he writes this author, you see, the land of Grimm can be harrowing place, but it's worth exploring, for in life it is in the darkest zones one finds the brightest beauty and the most luminous wisdom. And we could say the same about these warnings. If we retell the story of God without these warnings and without this very real danger, then we lose something. We tell our community that what we do today does not matter tomorrow. 
and does not matter for eternity. Poet Czechoslav Milos made this point in reference to the 20th century Europe, actually. Uh, this was in Tim Keller's book, Reason for God. In the 1900s, we retold the story of God's future without any judgment, without any condemnation. And what it did is it unleashed unseen levels of institutional evil in 20th century Europe. We need these warnings. An enduring community tells God's story and lives in it. His faithfulness and his very real consequences of turning from Jesus. Both of those things inform our habits today. Which takes us to our final mark as we close. We know what story we're in, but we also know who we are. An enduring community has a strong identity. And it's good we're ending this way because, frankly, that's the way that the preacher of Hebrews ends, too. Yes, the preacher warns, but ultimately, because of Jesus, we are declared three things in this passage. We are declared family. Did you notice? The preacher calls us brothers and sisters. We are family. I'm not just an individual Jesus follower hoping to stay behind uh, Jesus in this journey. No, I, I am your brother, and you are my sister and brother. And I cannot endure without you in my life. Inside. And you cannot endure without others in your life as well. Second, we're called God's house, remember? And this means that we are his temple. Think about that. We are where God wants to dwell. We are where God wants to dwell. As we gather, Jesus not only dwells individually within each of us by his spirit, but he dwells amongst us. This is where Jesus wants to be right now. Nowhere else but here. We are his temple. We are the dwelling place of the spirit. And then lastly, we are an enduring community. Okay? We are. We are an enduring community. We are a community that endures. Did you hear that? By God's authority, you are an enduring community. You all, we all, will endure. We will. That's the crazy thing about Hebrews. It warns the heck out of us, as we just read. But then it tells us in verse 39. Do you see it? But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not who we are. We must feel the fire, but at the end of the day, we tell each other, because God tells us, you are not going to shrink back. In graduate school, um, when I was overwhelmed with finals week, I absolutely did not see how I would make it through. Have any of you felt that way? I just could not see how it was possible I was going to make it through this week and all the things I had to do. And I had a friend who said, Joe, just picture yourself waking up next week, rolling out of bed, maybe with a free day ahead of you. What that cup of coffee is going to taste like. You know, what that book you've been wanting to read will feel like. Just imagine that day. And then, and then they said, it's going to happen. It just is. You're going to make it through this week. It's going to happen. And that helped me. That helped me endure. It helped me put one foot in front of the other. And if that's true of a friend who could give me a very tenuous, maybe it won't, maybe it won't, will happen future for me, how much more true is it of God describing his future for you? Okay? The Lord is whispering in your ear right now, whatever you are in, and saying, you will not shrink back. 
I've got you. I'm holding you. My grip on you is tighter than your grip on me. And that's who you are. That's our identity. That last week's crew, Real Life, Aaron, Aaron Badenhoff, helped hundreds of OSU students see that our core identity from Jesus is durable and dignifying. Why? Because it's not generated from the inside, but it's granted from Jesus from the outside. And that's our identity. We are family. We are God's temple. And we endure. We endure. So let me just ask you, are you trying to follow Jesus on your own right now? I know you have community. I know your church is important to you. I know maybe you're involved with crew or maybe another student organization out there. But, but maybe you see those things as just simply like helpers or, or nice things to have. Do you really, really believe that your community is essential for your endurance? That's the journey Jesus invites you to. You need enduring The good news is we have one. May Hope value Jesus as our greatest gift. May Hope cultivate these kinds of habits. And may Hope know our story and tell our story to one another. And would we ultimately believe who God says we are. And so Lord, we come to your presence boldly with confidence as you invite us to do. And we come as your enduring community. Keep us in your love, we ask. But do so through our brothers and sisters and the spirit that work amongst us. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray and ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about Hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.